As a thankful recipient of many, many skincare products over the years, I've learned to discern what is naturally actually activating my skin to rebalance and recalibrate on its own. That's what your skin is meant to be doing, and it keeps getting disrupted by all these choices that we make. So, when the founder and creator of Herbal Face Food reached out to me, I was all ears. I didn't know why at first. It turns out that Herbal Face Food is the most potent antioxidant skincare line on the market today, period. The raw plant ingredients in each of their products are never processed, never manipulated with synthetics or emulsifiers. These anti-aging botanicals are combined with the most precious plant concentrates, and they have changed my skin. Here's how. I'm going to talk about two of the products, the Herbal Face Food Serums and the Cream. The serums contain powerful phytoenzymes and antioxidants. These are activated and infused into your tissues. They hydrate and increase the resiliency of your skin, and they feel like they're plumping up your face. I use Serum 1 daily. I use Serum 2 when I'm tired and I need extra firming for my skin. And I use the X, which is also known as the Cure, for a small patch of rosacea that flares up every now and again, which you cannot see because of these products. When you feed your skin with herbal face food, you will feel real live ingredients at work. An activating flush, an invigorating tingle, some warmth, all of these are evidence of your skin healing at the cellular level and years of damage reversing. The cream is the most potent moisturizer I've ever tried, and I've tried them all. I live in the high desert. This cream contains 102 of the world's most powerful anti-aging botanicals and is also the world's first and only edible SPF <laughs> with a protection rating of SPF 50+. Plus. And this is accomplished 100% by plant power. And you can expect intense hydration, soothing for your tired skin. You can expect to see inflammation calmed and rebuilding of elasticity so your complexion looks and feels more smooth, and more radiant. Herbal face food is not plant-based. It's plant-powered. It has the highest rating on the ORAC anti-aging scale. ORAC means oxygen radical absorbance capacity. I never knew what that meant before. Highest, over 30 million on that scale. By contrast, vitamin C in skincare rates under 100,000. Herbal face food is using all post-consumer recycled materials and packaging. They use glass and aluminum, which is super easy to recycle as well. The products and packaging are 99% free of plastics. They contain no ingredients that involve the destruction or harm of any plant, animal, or marine life. These are 100% plants only, these products. These active concentrates are coming from the seeds, the fruits, the leaves, or the flowers of the plants only. These products have been a complete revolution for me. I know that you will love the way your skin looks and feels after using it even for just a day or two. And the best part is that Herbal Face Food has offered us, you, my community, a code to receive 20% off forever, ever. The code is capital E-L-E-N-A 20. Once again, that's my name in all caps, ELENA2020. The site is herbalfacefood.com. The code is all caps ELENA20. It's not just your first purchase, it's any purchase. You will love these products, and I am so grateful, Herbal Face Food, for the change that you have made in my life. Thank you. Welcome to the Practice You podcast. My name is Elena Brower. Together, we'll explore and enjoy content and conversations around mastering transitions. In our relations, our wellness, our careers, our families, and especially in our missions and visions. You are invited to learn and love and listen with me. Welcome to Practice You. Welcome back to the podcast. I have a rare live guest with me in my home, in my studio. Adam in queue. Welcome. 
Thank you. Do you not normally do it in your home? Not always. Okay. It's rare, actually. I mostly do it now online because it's just much easier to meet with people. Right. But having somebody here is so special. Well, I'm honored. Yeah. It's nice to be in your space. The first time I met you, I was standing at the Handel Group Christmas party. Mm. It was many years ago. And you were performing. And you said, it was the line about love. Love is not, love is, what was the line? Love is not a state. It's a, it's a. Oh, love is not something that you feel. It's something It's something that you do. Yes. Yeah. And I fell madly in love with you right then. That was the end of it. Thank you. It was mutual. I saw you. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I saw you then after that at Summit. Yeah. I brought the kid up, up to the mountain and you were there. And I had just gotten sober. Hmm. So this is now five and some years ago. I'd just gotten sober and I really wanted to write a spoken word. Hmm. And you helped me to learn how to learn the memorization Hmm. and embody the content. What did I say? So what you said was... Because I teach people all the time, but I don't usually teach memorization. Well, what you said was, you have to recite this thing in every position, in every place, at every moment Mm -hmm. for several weeks. Just through your head, keep going. Keep saying it out loud. Keep saying it to yourself. Keep saying it in the shower. Say it on the road. Say it when you're walking. Say it when you're driving. So that it becomes a part of your body. Yeah, it needs to get cellular. Yep. And it did. (laughs) And it did. It was it was the best. I'm still so proud of it. It's episode thirty three of this podcast. I put it in. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, I remember it. Right. So you're, I want to introduce you're a natural, you. a natural writer. I love writing. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. You know, if you're listening to this and you're thinking, oh, I'm not a natural writer, but I wish I was, you know, all you have to do is read a bunch. I feel that like I just read and read and read as a kid. And that led me to being able to write. Did you have the same experience? No, not at all. <laughs> That's so good. Tell me more. Well, I would say just to piggyback what, you know, you were talking about before I get into me. Mm. Um, Yeah, most people don't think that they're writers. And, you know, I do all of these workshops around the country and the world. And every single time someone has a unique voice, it's like their fingerprint. Mm. And it's not about it being great. It's about it being real. Mm. And so if you choose something that's moving and meaningful to you and you genuinely take it seriously and write from your heart, Mm. um, then it's going to be real. And, you know, then it it really is a a mirror for whoever it is that that gets a chance to listen to your story. And people are always surprised by other people's responses Mm -hmm. and um, by how easily the words flow Mm. when when you start Mm. in a place that sparks you. How old were you when you wrote your first piece? I actually don't remember. First of all, my memory is for shit. I mean, (laughs) it's really, really bad. Like, I have vague and ambiguous memories of my childhood. And, um, you know, so... Where did you grow up? Santa Monica. Lucky duck. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, and I was. I mean, it was a a great place to grow up. It's good karma. I was around all all types of people. Yeah. Learned a lot. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's get into your history a little bit. I want to make sure that my listener knows who you are. You are a spoken word artist. You are now launching a book. It's called Inquire Within. Mm-hmm. Poems and Stories by NQ. If you're wondering how his name is spelled, it's I-N-Q. Short for In Question. In Question. You know, I didn't know that. Yeah. When I was 15, my friend was like, you ask a lot of questions, you know, he was like, I'm going to start calling you inquiry. (gasps) And then people just shortened that to NQ and then people started calling me Q and I rarely heard my real voice after that. I mean, name, excuse me. Q is rad. Yeah. People just call me Q mostly. What's your real last name, Adam? Schmalholtz. Get out. Yeah. That's so cute. Yeah. If I ever do like a comedy sitcom. Oh my God. I'm going to call it Schmalholtz. It's like Schitt's Creek. (laughs) It's yeah. so good. My girlfriend loves Shit's Creek. It's apparently 
like I'm being forced now to get it and watch it so that next week if we're stuck here and quarantined, mm-hmm. I'm going to start watching Shit's Creek. Well, there's a lot of good entertainment out there for uh, anyone who has to go through it. Yeah, yeah. Let's see what happens. Um, for the listener, just so you have some context, we are recording this on, it's mid-March and we're in New York uh, in my home. And very shortly, there are a bunch of kids who are going to come back to the courtyard near my apartment and play hockey, I'm sure. And they're all out of school because of the virus. So let's see how it all plays out. Yeah. I've been doing a lot of these podcasts. And uh, up until now, I found it pretty easy to ignore it. Yeah, same. And to talk about the book, which I'm really proud of and really passionate you know, about the content that's inside of it and people connecting with it. But it's becoming increasingly more and more difficult to ignore the reality of what's going on, even in passing conversations. Yeah. I've been in the same boat. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But I want to just turn the attention to the poem called 85. It's one of my Mm -hmm. favorite ones. And it starts like this. I want to fall in love at 85 go on shuffleboard dates and dance to hip-hop from 95. We'd also listen to the song Stayin' Alive, but only for the message. Otherwise, we'd keep away from disco. It's depressing. We'd rock matching track suits and rope gold chains. We'd look like Run DMC, but in their old age. We'd take aerobics classes and wear bifocal glasses and eat at IHOP and hold hands at Sunday masses. And when it comes to the bedroom... (laughs) Well, nothing much would happen in the bedroom because we're 85, but we would still be down to take a walk or take a drive. I love this poem so much. Thank you. Every time I get to the end, I'm just weeping. Thank you. Weeping. Let me knock her boots. That's pretty cool that you read it. Nobody ever really like reads it. It's just, you know, very interesting for me to create the book because I've been writing these poems for a really long time. I have somebody read to you. You know, so to hear them in somebody else's voice has been a really cool experience. I bet. And, you know, people are able to, I guess, engage with the poetry differently because we have the 60 illustrations that help kind of drop people into the messages of the words in a different way. And then the audiobook, which is me actually reading them all. Right, of which course. Which is two and a half hours of me, you know, doing my work. And yeah, yeah. we took it really seriously. So I'm super proud of um, what we created and excited for people to listen. It's my next Audible credit. Awesome. Yeah, as soon as this landed in my mailbox, I was like, oh, I know what I'm getting next on Audible. Beautiful. So excited. Um, I want to read the back of the book to my listener because I think it's important that you know what this is about and then I want to get into your history. Great. Contemplating universal issues of love, loss, forgiveness, transformation, and belief. Inquire Within shines a light on our lives and provides a wholly unique and dynamic lens through which to think about ourselves and our world. Rhythmic, original, authentic, inspiring. A journey to the center of the soul. Inquire Within is a provocative and entertaining debut from an award-winning poet. You'll never look at poetry the same way again. And that is how I feel from the minute I met you. You're a Poetry Slam champion, national. You are a multi-platinum songwriter. Can you please share with us what on earth that means? <laughs> I've written a lot of songs that have sold a lot of records. For whom? Uh, everyone from Selena Gomez and Miley Cyrus to uh, Foster the People and Aloe Black. I've written like... Dude. Probably like 40 upwards of Disney television songs. <laughs> You're joking. I had no, no, no idea about this. No, I mean, yeah, I had a lot of a lot of success in that. And that's actually what allowed wow. me the freedom to pursue my poetry. <clears throat> it was really difficult to figure out how to monetize being a poet for a long time. And and so course, I right. think the, the songwriting was the foundation that I built my poetry on top of. And uh, ultimately, I was able to build a really successful business around it without losing my artistic integrity. Which was really important to me, you know. And Oprah named you to her top 100 super soul thinkers. Yeah. Which is a pretty great distinction. Yeah, yeah. So sweet. Is she the best? 
Uh, we only met that one time, okay. but she was awesome. Yeah, yeah she was exactly hear. what you would imagine her to be. Totally, the warmest. Yeah, um, but that that was certainly an honor, and you know, there's there's a lot of things in my bio. Every time I'm performing, you know, people will like get up and they'll read my bio, and I just want to like hide in the corner. <laughs> Tell me more. Why? Oh, bio is like what but it's you your have stuff. done. You know, and when you're about to perform in front of people. You're creating a new moment. I see. So, of course, people like need some sort of a context to like who you are. But for me, when I'm performing, it actually doesn't help anything. You know, it's like a famous comedian would say, you know, being famous, when they say your name, everyone goes crazy. You know, if you're like at a random little club and they're like Jerry Seinfeld and, you know, everybody goes nuts. Or, But ultimately, then 30 seconds in, if you're not funny... No one gives a shit. Right. And you're having a new experience anyway. Yeah. So, you know, I'm always a little <clears throat> bit shy when it comes to those things. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, think I I'm, get that. Yeah. But, uh, but I did do them. I own that too. Yep. And you grew up in Santa Monica. You were, how old when you left there the first time? Um, you mean to go off into the world? Yeah. Uh, I went to uh, San Francisco State for one year. And then I came back and went to SMC for about six months. And I hated it. I was never really a good student. I was never really interested. I used to like write in class. And uh, anything that like actually moved me, mm. you know, I wanted to take that energy and create something with it rather than regurgitate it for an exam exactly couldn't have said it any better yeah <laughs> and then i was like i don't know i, I literally i got in a fist fight on campus Sweet. there was like some ridiculous thing that happened with this woman that was in my class young young woman with her boyfriend he came down to fight me one day and i what? was like yeah it was like in the class it was actually pretty funny i i was i knew that this was gonna happen it was like one of those movies, you know, in high school or something like that. Premonition or? No, no. He was like, I'm going to find, you know, I'm going to find you, bro. Like that type of thing. Oh, God. And uh, so then I was in class. I was taking tests. It was summer. And I've definitely never told this story on a podcast. It's just a silly story. But, you know, people would finish their test and they would put it at the front and then they would leave. Right. And my seat was in a place where I could see when the door would swing open, the outside of the class. So I'm like sitting there doing the test and, you know, people are leaving and the door swings open. And there's this dude just standing outside. Waiting. Waiting with uh, leather gloves on. Oh, my God. You know, God. like biker gloves. Yes. So I'm like, and it was summer. So I remember I was like looked and I saw him like a couple of times and I thought why is he wearing gloves in the summer and then I went oh okay so not only did I know I was gonna get in a fight I had to finish the test right and then get in the fight (laughs) and then get in the fight so anyway so I, I left that day I mean whatever we fought it was over and then I left and uh and I think I quit like a week later. Yeah. I didn't want to be there. You know, yeah. I was like, I did the test. I was like doing uh, really like the lowest math class you could do mm. and just wasn't wasn't interested in it. And I wanted to pursue my art. And so that's what you did. The The long answer to your question is, is I only left for a year. Right. And then I came back to L.A. and that's that's where I've lived. And did you start performing straight away? Yeah. I mean, I was performing in high school. You know, I mean, it was always my dream. It was something I fell in love with immediately. Mm. Um, My dad wasn't around when I was a kid. My mom's a school teacher. She raised me on her own. And I just, uh, I think, fell in love with uh, hip hop and freestyling and, you know, finding ways to express what was suppressed inside of me. Although I didn't think about it so philosophically or poetically at that time. You know, it's just something I was drawn to. And uh, it took on a life of its own. And there we were in, when did you graduate high school? 96. So you're a little, you're eight years younger than me, but same-ish 
time, mm. we were in such a fertile time mm. for <clears throat> really the best of hip hop. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That was the best. Every single person had their own uh, <sighs> unique style. Nobody was copying anybody. It was sacrilegious, actually. And that was it was just right at the beginning of sampling. Yeah, sampling is a amazing art form that has been <clears throat> co-opted. Yeah. That's something that I care so deeply about. Mm. There's, I forget the show on YouTube that I've watched with um, my friend Zane, who's also my editor, who mm. showed it to me when they go into the crates. Mm. And he finds one, one little bit, whoever the artist is, and then he has to make a whole track out of it. Or then yeah. they find several bits and they make a whole track out of it. It's so much fun. Yeah, it's an amazing, <clears throat> amazing art form. And it's not that I don't think that you know, the artists that the music was coming from mm. shouldn't have been paid. I mean, it's an it's an argument, you know. But what ended up happening mm. is is that the amazing, amazing collage yeah. that was happening with different musics yeah. from sampling got put on pause in a major way because people couldn't pay, you know, for the different things. And before that, you know, it was just people were just taking all sorts of random obscure things and putting it in and you know there was a certain sound of all of that coming together that was so unique and beautiful so special yeah de la soul yeah the way they did that i got all those guys q-tip yeah so beautiful okay so your most memorable early performance you know um <clears throat> I think probably the the one that sticks out was I was at a club when I was like 15 or 16 and uh, I like snuck in with, you know, my friends at the time. Did <laughs> you have a fake ID? I don't think so. I think we went in the back or something like that. Right. They were older than me. <gasps> but um, anyway, so yeah, go inside and there was like a rap battle that was happening on stage and somehow I got to the stage and so I ended up like battling this dude and it was like two rounds back and forth and you know, I had battled people in the past but the ciphers were the audience at that point. Ooh. So it was like whoever would come up, whether it was three people or five people or 20 people, but there's a difference between that and like 200 300 people. I don't even remember how many people because it just seemed so big to me at that time. Yes. And then just to be able to, you know, make something up off the top of my mind and to have people respond like that. Mm. I mean, it was a, a feeling of uh, true freedom and empowerment. I don't know that I had ever felt so empowered, you know. Mm. Have you ever written about that? No. That would be fun. Yeah. I would love to. I would love to have Jonah read the piece that you write about that moment. Hmm. He's thirteen now. Yeah, and your greatest influence in terms of your poetry—not necessarily music, but poetry. Um, I would say the community that I was a part of was my oh, greatest wow. influence. So when I was nineteen, I wound up at a open mic for poets called the Poetry Lounge in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. And uh, I got on stage, I just started doing my rapping a cappella, mm -hmm. and people responded to it. And um, the community was just this unbelievable group of artists. Yeah. Um, I, don't, I don't know that I'll ever experience that type of um, bond with a group mm. of people again. It was, mm. that was my college. You know, right. that, that was my artistic college. And... 350 people every single week would show up wow. to listen to, you know, people sign up on the list. And it was like church without religion. That's a lot of humans. Yeah, yeah. And if you think of the 20 years plus that it's been going, I mean, so many people have been in that building. You can feel it when you come into the building. There's an energy. It's the same thing as a yoga studio or yeah, something like that. Sure. If A church. Yeah, yeah. You can feel the energy of belief. Mm. you know of uh prayer yeah of intention yeah and uh yeah so i mean that community was my biggest influence my biggest teacher 
the community became a true family for me. And I think that they, they taught me how to use my voice by continuing to give me a space to explore it. If you had a kid in front of you who was interested in doing that right now, what would you say? Like, what would be the top thing that you would say, dude, don't forget to do this? Well, I don't think that anyone can teach you what your voice is. Mm. I just think, you know, they can teach you techniques to use your voice and they can provide a place for you to explore your voice. Right. And they can give you prompts and tools. and But your voice comes from experiencing using it. And uh, so that's what I would say to anybody, you know, whether they're a kid or an adult, just find different ways to use your voice yeah. as many as you can. Because you do have a unique voice and a unique story. And yet your story is the human story. And mm. so when you share it with other people, they'll feel less alone. I was interviewing uh, an artist by the name of Kim Kranz, who's mm -hmm. written a bunch of different books and recently. And we were talking about the fact how when you have some piece of art, be it a poem or a painting or a, anything, spoken word, when it's deeply personal, completely and utterly personal, it becomes this universal portal for everyone to feel that whatever that part of themselves is with which they identify when they read or see this thing. Yeah. Um, so I like what you've just said because it's really about being as close to yourself as you can be so that as many people as possible could actually identify with it, be served. Yeah, that's why it's a, a barricade to trying to do something great. You know, like if you're sitting down and you're like, mm -hmm. I'm trying to do something great. It's actually a barricade to communicating the truth. It has more to do with your ego. So, you know, everyone, myself included, is the vehicle and the obstacle to their art. And so, you know, that's something I try to keep aware of. Yeah, that would be a great piece of advice hmm. to a kid. And when you set out to do this book, was this something that someone else asked you to do or was it something that you wanted to do? Well, I definitely never intended to be an author. Right. Um, I would say that my poems have always been like living, breathing documents. I mean, I, I do 70 shows a year. That's a lot. Yeah, yeah, around the world. Right. And workshops and, you know, all of it. So I kind of show up and I perform the poems and then I disappear. <laughs> right. And that's been my M.O., you know, and like, for example, our relationship, you just saw me at a 150-person sure, right. dinner party. Mm -hmm. And then the next time we saw each other was at Summit. Right. And then the next time we saw each other, I think, was at Burning Man. It was. When we were standing on yes. that perch with Marion. Yes. Oh, God. Yeah. That was so special. Yeah, it was. And then most recently at Wanderlust in Squaw Valley. That's right. And so all of them, you know, for us, they're touch points of us to get deeper. And now I'm really stoked to be sitting with you right now and, so and, good. and talking about all of this. But um, for other people, you know, if I don't have that touch point with them again, I just kind of disappear. <laughs> right. This and, is, you know, so my hands on the book. This is the this is now your legacy in a way. It's a home for my art. Yes. Yes. You know, it's like the first time that anyone could hold something in their hands and explore it um, at, at their own time, you know, and, and go back into the different lines and find meaning for themselves. And I'm, I'm like pretty bad at uh, self-promotion. I, I like, it's probably the least thing that I'm interested in or even good at. Like if, if you and I are hanging out, I don't want to be like, ah, you, me and Elena are at the fucking thing. And you put up the... Oh, just, dude, I'm totally taking a selfie with you after Okay, this. well, we can totally do it. It's, <laughs> but it's <laughs> no, not my true. first inclination. Of course, of course. That I know about you. That's why I'll do it. But I will say that it has been a joy to promote the book because good. I feel that it's separate from me. Yes. Like I feel, you know, I have a line in the book that says the art is more important than the artist is. Yeah. And so I feel like I want it to have as big of a life as it can. And if you look at the cover, 
it has the tree and uh, the branches mirror the roots. Yep. But if you look at it from the side, it looks like lungs. <gasps> it does. It's the understory and the overstory and the right and left lung. And then uh, the two halves of the book are inhale and exhale. And exhale. So the inhale is the personal poems. It's like my poetic hero's journey, pretty right. much. Right. Um, as you hear the sirens in the background, so much, uh, so much going on in this moment. So much going on in this moment. And then the exhale is, of course, the social uh, and political pieces. So it's yeah, yeah, yeah. change yourself, change the world. You know. I love the poem called Change. Thank you. I always have. Most people don't change. I mean, they won't change. I mean, they can change. I sort of want you to you let to me do, do this. It. Can yeah, you? let me do it. It's so much more fun to have you do it. Do you not? I, I kind of like. Or? No, I don't need the book. Okay. I kind of like listening to you do it though. But <laughs> I feel that you know I am here. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. Come on, bring it on. Most people don't change. I mean, they won't change. I mean, they can change. But usually they can't seem to change. I find it so strange. People just continue to repeat the same pattern like the consequences don't matter when they clearly do. What if God put a magnifying glass over you? Over me. Over everything we see. And this world is an experiment for your soul to survive separated from our infinite whole. I wouldn't know joy unless I knew pain. I'm looking for a new way to say the same old thing. They say the same old thing and then expect a different response. It's hard to explain. I guess your heart wants what it wants. I used to think I was right or wrong. Now I know I was wrong, so I write darkness is a form of light. I used to think I was mad at you. I was really mad at me, but in retrospect, that's how it had to be. I used to think I knew some shit. <laughs> now I know I don't know shit. But at least I know enough shit to know I don't know shit. Shit. I'm a hitchhiking ghost trying to find his way home. Every mistake that I make, I put inside of a poem. She wants to change her man, but she's focused on her man. She should focus on herself, rearrange her mental health. He wants to change his girl, but he's focused on his girl. He should focus on himself, rearrange his mental health. We want to change the world, but we're focused on the world. We should focus on ourselves. Why do I repeat myself? Everybody's superpower doubles as their kryptonite. I think too much to sleep at night, but that's what makes me rip the mic. Every time you start talking, tears just come streaming out of me. That's so crazy. Thank you. <laughs> what, uh, what got you emotional? The, the, the very cadence and timbre of your voice. Hmm. I think the first time I met you that time, I was in such a fragile place. And I think when I heard you say that love isn't something you feel, it's something you do, mm. it changed me like fundamentally. Mm. And so your voice always has something for me. How did that affect your life in reality? Like what did it, what did it make you, what, did, what fundamentally changed and then how did you apply it to, to your actions? It made me more active in in my love and my service, hmm. actually. Like from that moment on, I, I'll never forget it. It's funny that I couldn't remember the line, but I hmm. remember the feeling. That's you know? the Maya Angelou thing. You don't remember yeah. what people say. You remember, you remember the way they, made you, they feel. made you feel. I have these three questions that I ask everyone that I speak with, almost everyone, and I thought I would ask them of you. Um, the first is what... What in your world, either personally or universally, do you feel needs healing right now? Personally or universally? You get to sort of play with it. It's such a nice combination of words, personally and universally. It, like when I hear that, I think of a circle. <laughs> your head is going in a circle right now as you personally say them. Personally and universally. Totally. It comes right back around, you know. Yeah. 
Um, if I was doing a show right now, I'd make everybody do it. Yes. <laughs> Personally. Universally. Just, Personally, universally. Yeah. yeah, I mean, look, all of my poems are me either purging or praying or both. You know, I'm talking to myself. They're reminders of mm-hmm. me trying to live my best life. So there's a lot that still needs healing, even from the things that I've already created. Right. Because sometimes I have to catch up with them. You know, it's not like I say something once I finally understand how to apply it and own it, you know, in the actions in my life. No, they're aspirational often, but they are things that I try not to talk about. I try to be about them uh, with various degrees of success and failure. So, you know, I mean, definitely learning how to, I guess, like take whatever trigger is happening in life mm. and uh, not bring anything that's unresolved from the past into that new moment, you know? Yes. Because that, I think, is is oftentimes where I get in trouble is, you know, and I think people get in trouble that way is they bring their projections from the past into a new moment and they over respond or under respond you know based on something that's not actually even happening yeah so that's something i still want to work on more and more is just being able to like be aware of when that does take place so that i can kind of let it go Mm. and then return to the moment return to what's actually happening and respond in reality because there's so much information in reality my god and all we're doing mostly is distracting ourselves from reality you know living in the past pushing our thoughts to the future Mm. distracting ourselves in the moment and that's partly what we're trained to do by consumerism i think consumerism is constantly trying to take the moment from us you know it's trying to take our likes it's trying to take our attention it's trying to take our love it's trying to take our money it's trying to take our time it's trying to take our information now yeah now it wants your information too it wants everything from you you know it has it now yeah i know (laughs) it's all there yeah it's all there so i think in that way it like unconsciously trains us to externalize the answers right to look outside of ourselves and if i don't know something of course i look on google or you know I look on YouTube or something like that. And technology is amazing. It's a beautiful gift. It's connected the entire world. And also it's made people feel more isolated. It's weird with everything that's going on with the virus because I think now we're actually externalizing what we felt internally. Oh, gosh. There's like this uh, thing that's happening in reality that we've already been feeling, which is disconnected isolated social distancing you know i'm not saying don't do that by the way that this shit is real but i am saying that there's a weird two sides of the same coin thing happening and so you know i guess what i would say to anybody that's like listening to this is there's a difference between using the tools of technology and having those tools use you and if you don't know something right now and you are confused about a specific thing in your life You know, of course, you can consult a coach or you can ask a friend, but, you know, also find some time to be alone and actually like let the noise of the outside world kind of drop away and the noise from the technology world drop away so that you can hear your own true voice because that's the voice that's going to let you know what you need to do next. I, I hope that the book actually is a a window for that because i had to inquire within myself to create it people have to inquire within the pages Mm. uh, to read it and ultimately inquire within themselves to find their truth and to loop back it's sort of always been true that we teach best what we most need to learn for sure at the top of the book on the cover you even say if you change the present you change the past and the future which I really appreciated because I've never, you know, nobody would ever put that on the cover of a book normally. It's like some other author touting the 
the wonders of the book that you're about to read, but that's a really good way to welcome somebody into your work. Hmm. It's so much who you are and what you teach through your words. Yeah, it's never too late. No, it's right of, now. A lot of people, yeah, it's always right now. It's the right never now. ending now. A lot of people feel that it's too late. No. Tell me, the second question is, what is your favorite view? And I've had so many different answers. Like, so many different answers. My favorite view. Favorite view. Um, my girlfriend. Hey. Beautiful. Yeah. I mean that. It's not even a romantic, poetic thing to say. It's just, you know, she's she's my favorite human being I've ever met. <sighs> I'm so, so unbelievably in love with her. We've been together over two years now, so it's still, you know, we're still getting to know each other. Hopefully you get to know each other for the rest of your life. But, but yeah, I feel lucky to be able to have her as, as my view, mm. you know, in the morning or... You know, we all have these like weird little worlds and no matter how open we are <laughs> in life, nobody really knows what your weird, weird little world is like. You know, right. it's, it's like that scene in Goodwill Hunting. I think that the therapist Robin Williams was talking about that, these weird little worlds. So anyway, I feel really blessed that she's let me into hers and I've let her into mine. And that's what intimacy is. You just keep opening up and unfolding into each other completely you know so she's my favorite view mm. she's a lucky girl you're a lucky man yeah what does prayer mean to you prayer um what does prayer mean to me well initially when i hear that word i think of religion which um can feel confining but I love prayer and I love belief. I don't love prayer or belief that um, that makes other people wrong, <laughs> mm. you know, but I love inclusive prayer and belief for the individual and the collective. And as I said, I mean, you know, the Poetry Lounge, there was so much prayer and belief in that room and that's why you can feel it similar to what you would feel if you would go to a temple mm. or a mosque mm. um, or a church I mean we could use more of it for real yeah any poem with which you would like to close for my listener yeah sure um, there is nothing in life that you cannot breathe through except death And since we're all alive, it means at least there's one breath left. So pull it deep into your chest, into your bones, into your breasts, into your blood, into your necks, into the mud, into the depth, until it hugs your souls and suffocates the space that you have left, until it tugs your heartstrings and leaves your molecules caressed. Just a few precious seconds right before eternal rest. Will you fight for your survival from this uninvited guest? Will you Rolodex your history to glamorize regrets or set your sights on new arrival and go sprinting up the steps? Me, I'll revel in the wonder of the colors and the shapes. The way the light resembles floating diamonds dancing on the lake. I am nobody's mistake. But my existence wasn't planned. I had to sneak into the party, they were out of wristbands. Now I'm sinking towards the exit like it's made of quicksand. See, I got used to spinning my wheels, but hit the kickstand. I want to truly view the world around me while I still can. I want to worship every flower giving prayers over the land. I want to open up my eyes so wide that what I see expands. And the beauty beams so bright it overwhelms woman and man. Fuck a portal to the light. I want to scream. I want to fight. I want to eat and fucking drink. I want to touch. I want to think. I want to feel and taste and see. I want to live. I want to be. And I'd give anything but life because I'm dying to be me. 
I spent half my life trying to be anything but me. Now my afterlife is spying on my new reality. And I'm vying for another breath before he sets me free. I'm defying death with everything, cause death's defying me. I will rant, I will rave, I will spit, I will rage. I'll go barefoot on the sun or swim a sea of razor blades. I will grow, I will age, I will slow, I will fade. I'll sleep on hot coals or juggle chainsaws and live grenades. And though I know I'll never give up, in the end I'll give way. Hey, I'm sure there's someone else with something more important to say. But until then, I'm living each and every fucking day. So when I take a breath, I do it like I swear I'm here to stay. Learned fear can be overcome when you realize the voice inside your head is not yours. It's an imitation of the voices from before repeating on a loop inside your quiet core, receiving since your youth when your choices weren't even yours, perceiving was the proof, but reality has many doors, so why are we still fighting other people's wars? Learned fear can be overcome when you realize the voice inside your head is not yours. It's an imitation of the voices from before, repeating, repeating, repeating on a loop inside your quiet core, and you can't tell the difference because it sounds the same. But trust me when I tell you, most of what you think is from somebody else's brain. They have us trained, shackled by imaginary chains, imaginary rules for imaginary games. But they don't know the reasons either, so where should we place the blame? And who is they anyway when we're all the same? Our parents had parents, and their parents had parents. Apparently it hurts to see, so I'll be transparent. The world is so much bigger than your insecurities. And they don't speak on your behalf without your soul's authority. The world is so much bigger than your culture or community, and they don't speak on your behalf without your soul's authority. Because if it's all a story, then nobody else can tell it for me. Since I'm always transforming, I defy a category. When you do the same thing the same way, it's habit forming. But nothing in this land of woman and man is mandatory. It's all just transitory. Our world's a laboratory. Experimenting on today can change tomorrow morning. And since matter is mostly empty space, we're in a sea of consciousness where the boundaries are erased. So I stared at my reflection until I couldn't see my face. Then I picked myself and put the flowers in an empty vase. If you came for validation, then you're in the wrong place. The only certain satisfaction is becoming what you've chased. And there's no running from the inner voice. So it's important that you choose. But it's more important that you know you have a choice. You have a choice. Are you living someone else's life? You have a voice. Does it haunt you in the dead of night? Would you fly if you weren't convinced to be afraid of heights? And who convinced you anyway? They had no fucking right. Right? No one can dim your light. You shine within so bright that you could blind the sun from sight and scare him back into the night. No one can dim your light. I said it twice because you're greater than the circumstances that surround your perfect life. You're not your nature or your nurture. You're a prototype. And if you hone it right, eventually you'll hack your satellite. At first, it's nothing. Then nothing turns into a whisper. Turn the dial and it gets crisper in your transistor. Wait a while, and the whisper turns into a scream. It overwhelms your system, and you won't know what it means. But pump the volume up, and it can tell you all your dreams. Till pretty soon, it's the only voice you'll ever need. Now all you have to do is listen when you want to lead. Your fear disintegrates when you decide to stop and breathe. It's your authentic voice. No matter where you go, it never leaves. And that's God, no matter what religion you believe. I'm starting my own religion. 
and everyone is welcome. But nobody can join. If you did, you'd miss the point. I totally love you. Thanks, man. <laughs> I love you too. Wow. Thank you so much. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Thank you, AG1, for sponsoring the Practice You podcast. My listener, you've been hearing me talk about AG1 for some time. I think I've been taking it daily for almost three years. 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food-sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens in one scoop in the morning. The best way to start your day supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and longevity, the conversation of the moment. The taste is delicious. It's suitable whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free. It contains less than one gram of sugar. No nonsense in here at all. It's a multivitamin that your body will actually absorb. If you are wanting to make an investment in your health and longevity, AG1 costs you less than $3 a day, far less expensive, and definitely less time-consuming than many different supplements. Reclaim your health, arm your immune system with convenient, delicious daily nutrition. And since you listen to the Practice You podcast, Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of immune-boosting vitamin D and 5 free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is go to athleticgreens.com forward slash Elena. Once again, that's athleticgreens.com forward slash E-L-E-N-A. Take ownership of your health, my listener. And thank you, Athletic Greens and AG1.